into the world. Um, that's how I feel with Romans 8. I've poured so much of my last uh, two months, maybe a little bit more, I've poured so much of, of myself in studying this and um, looking at this passage and looking at all the little nuances. And now, um, I, I say now, but it was always the Holy Spirit that will take it. I, I hope I've encouraged you to memorize this chapter. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will use that as a constant theme in your life. Um, before we read the passage, I do want to say one thing. Um, somebody uh, came to me recently and relayed to me that um, at a time in their life when they were going through a really hard struggle, uh, someone just kind of quoted them Romans 8.28. Um, All things work together for good to them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. And in doing so, um, that person kind of steamrolled their, their hurt and the pain that they were feeling as a result of that. And I, I want to tell you that's not what Paul is doing here. And I want to encourage you, do not use these grand promises of God as a cudgel in the life of fellow believers. I, I say this to say, use this carefully. Because if somebody is hurting, if somebody is in pain, if somebody is suffering, yes, they need to understand the truth behind Romans 8.28. But remember, Paul isn't using this as a cudgel. What he's doing is he's using this to reason with you and to help you along. Listen, I want to be so clear with this. Even after we hear the promises of God, you and I in this building today still struggle with fear and doubt. Yes, we read the promises of God, and we know the promises of God, and we understand the promises of God. But I tell you, sometimes you lay in your bed and you try to recall the promises of God in the midst of difficult seasons, and it's just hard. And you can't Romans 8.28 your way out of that. No, you can't do it. But what you can do is hold on to it just like a little rope. And it reminds you of who God is and his purposes in your life. And so you just hold on to that. That's it. But you still struggle. I want to make that clear because I think sometimes as Christians, we kind of do that to one another. We throw these verses and we post it and we, hey, boom, 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 like we're passing out candy. That's not the word of God. That is not the word of God. Paul here is being so pastoral. Remember, I've said this over and over again. He's not just an exegete of Scripture. He's an exegete of the heart. And these questions that we see in verse 31 down to 39 are meant to reason with each other and talk to one another and help one another through the difficult seasons of life. Yes, all things does work together for good, but you better believe you will doubt and struggle until the day you die. These questions remind us of that. I just needed to say that. And don't worry, that's just priming the pump. We're gonna end, we're gonna end, we're gonna land this plane well. You know, I always tell people when they ask me if I've gone on a flight, how how is the flight, Dennis? I always said the flight was good. Do you know why? It's not because I had good service. It's not because, you know, they were nice to me. It's because I landed well. And so we're going to land well today. I want to look at Romans 8, 31 through 39. Let me drink a little water 
and then I'll read God's word. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Hear now the reading of God's word. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who shall be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who, ra- who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And verse 35 down through 39 is going to be the meat of what we talk about today. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let us go to prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we have been... Um, blessed, so blessed by the power of this chapter. You wrote this for us because you know our hearts at times fail. And we are a people beset by fears. We're a people beset by um, doubt. And so in your divine providence, you led the Apostle Paul to write, to be an encouragement to us. And I pray that even today. Uh, Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, um, we began this series with no condemnation. And rightly fitting, we will end this series with no separation. I hope you make note of that. The series began with no condemnation, and now we'll end with no separation. And I have three points, and I want to dive in right away. We're not going to waste any time with this because the text speaks for itself. The first thing I want to point out is notice that the Apostle Paul spends more time on no separation than he does just about anything else. Notice uh, we talked about last week that there were three questions, uh, three statements that Paul made, and they Uh, reminded us that these questions are uh, the source of fear in our lives. The first one is the fear of oppression, verse 31 and 32. Then the fear of condemnation, verse 33 through 34. And now separation, verse 35 down through 39. And he spends the majority of time time on that. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why does he spend the most time on this idea of separation, and it's because separation is a human being's, uh, is the thing that a human being fears the most. That's what you need to know about yourself. 
it's the biggest fear that we have, or it's the biggest fear that we should have to be separated. Psalm 51, verse 11, David said, Cast me not away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now listen, it's not that David forget, forgot that God was omnipresent, right? That's not what he did in this passage. What, what happened to David is that he was afraid to be separated from the covenantal love of God. That was a problem in his life. He had sinned, and that sin that he felt would, had separated him from God. And David is saying, I don't want to be separated from God. I don't want to feel that separation from God. And so David says, that's my biggest fear. But I want you to know that's the biggest fear in our society today. In fact, it's one of the biggest problems in our society today. And that's why the word of God is always culturally relevant no matter what society it's in. You say, Pastor Dennis, what do I mean by that? Recently, I was reading uh, the Surgeon General, and by the way, you should read after the Surgeon General. Uh, he tells you a lot of good things you need to know about society, both in terms of uh, things that might be coming down to pike and, pike and otherwise. And this is what the Surgeon General said. You didn't know you are going to come to church and hear about the Surgeon General. Well, you're wrong. When you come to CVBC, don't tell him what you're going to hear about. So this is what the Surgeon General said. You ready? The Surgeon General said the greatest epidemic facing the United States today is loneliness. Loneliness. Study after study shows that most people in the United States suffer disproportionately with loneliness, especially people that live in big cities. Now think with me for a moment. If you live in a big city, do you lack people to be around? The answer to that question is, so the problem isn't that they don't have people to be around. The problem is they are not around the right person. Isn't it interesting, and it should be interesting to you, that the more secular our society gets, the more lonely people feel. If I could say it a little different, I'd say it like this. Secularization always leads to separation. The problem with the loneliness epidemic in the United States today isn't that we have a problem being around people or we don't have people to be around. The problem is, as a society, we are not around the person that we should be around the most, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's him. Now, our society can do all it can to stem this problem, and they are. They have put in money, counseling. They've tried to set up social media accounts to help people who are struggling with loneliness. But hear me today, it will not work. The Surgeon General said that so many people feel isolated, meaning separated, invisible, and insignificant. And maybe that's you in here today. You're in a crowd of people in this place, and you feel isolated, invisible, and insignificant. Why? Because you are not cognizant of the profound love of God. It always leads to loneliness. And that's what Paul is saying here. The separation 
that we often feel in our lives is a direct result of us not being aware of the love of God. Now notice the second thing that Paul says, and it's the thing that I want us to see. Again, look at verse number 35. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now by the love of Christ, Paul isn't saying our love for Christ. He's saying Christ's love for us. That's what we'll be, uh, that's what we can't be separated from. Our love for Christ always wax and wanes. But Christ's love for us never wax and wanes. It's a sure love. It's a powerful love. It's an invoyable love. One of my favorite songs in the hymnal, Trinity hymnal, is And Can It Be. Anybody know that song? It's one of my favorite songs. When I have uh, my worship time, um, I'll, I'll grab a Trinity hymnal and I'll just sing And Can It Be at the top of my lungs. Uh, I would invite you, but I don't think you would enjoy the sound coming out. But one of the reasons why I love that hymn is because of this line. It's the constant refrain, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love. Do you know what they mean by amazing love? By the way, if you search up the song, Romans 5, 8 is actually the theology behind that. So the concept of the love that he's talking about is derived from the book of Romans. And what he's saying is that he has such a vision of God's love for us that he calls it amazing. Now let me ask you a question. Do you know what amazing love looks like? Do you have a vision for what amazing love looks like? You know, um, my, my wife and I, every now and then, we don't uh, that much uh, anymore, but we used to watch Hallmark movies. And, you know, one of the things that we used to do, and by the way, if you love Hallmark movies, uh, don't hear me, like, dumping on you. Love your Hallmark movies. Listen to your Hallmark movies. Watch them. I don't have a problem with that. But one of the things we would do often is we would make fun of Hallmark movies. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, listen up, listen up. I probably made more fun of the Hallmark movies than she did. But, but one of the things about the Hallmark movies that you know, it's so scripted. It's so scripted and it's so boring and it's so predictable. If I could say it this way, it's uninspiring. <laughs> you don't watch a Hallmark movie and think, wow, that's amazing love. I mean, if you've watched one Hallmark movie, you kind of watch all Hallmark movies. That's just the way it is. You know, you watch a Hallmark movie and you walk away thinking, man, I could do better than that. Now, here's the point I want to make. If you have a Hallmark movie version of love, that love is not amazing. That love is not compelling. Instead, you need to have the kind of love evidence in the movie Taken. You know the Taken movie? You know, somebody steals this guy's daughter and he has a particular kind of skills. And, and he employs these particular kinds of skills to get his daughter back. That's the kind of love that's inspiring. Here's a guy that says, you took something that belonged to me and I will use every tool in my toolbox to get you back. 
Because nothing can separate my daughter from my love. That's the kind of love that this world needs. That's the kind of love that, this, that inspires the world. Hallmark doesn't inspire the kind of love that Paul is talking about. Taken does. <laughs> Taken does. Now listen, listen, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that this love is inspiring. And let me say this too. Why do you think young people aren't in church that much? Now, there's a lot of young people here, but why do you think people aren't in church as much? Why do you think people look at Christianity and look at us as a bunch of weird people that have these weird practices? Because we don't present a love that's compelling. We don't present the kind of radical love that's being spoken of here. Brothers and sisters, look at the text. He says, what can separate us from the love of God? That's amazing love. That's powerful love. Let me explain to you something. He's presenting a vision of Jesus Christ that's so powerful and so grand and so amazing that nothing can rip us away from it. That's the kind of love I want. That's the kind of love I want to teach my kids. That's the kind of love I want to preach. That's the kind of love I want to call you to believe in. None of this sentimentality stuff. We have an amazing, powerful God who says, no one can rip you out away from me. Glory be to God. That's a powerful love. And Paul enumerates how this love should look. Look at verse number 34. It's the kind of love we see that led Christ to die for us. Die for us. That's the kind of love we need to be reminding unbelievers of. This radical love that would lay down his life for sinners. That he was raised again. That the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that we have in us even today. Not just that, but he sat on the right hand of the Father. We don't talk about the session of Christ much. But here's the power behind that verse. If you, go, if you look at the Old Testament and you look at the high priest, there was no chair in the tabernacle and the temple. Why? Because the work of the priest was never accomplished. But when you read in this passage that Christ sat down on the right hand of the Father, that means that the work of redemption is done. That's why we will never be separated from the love of and then notice the last little bit that he makes intercession for us. Christ makes intercession for you. He's your defense attorney. Now listen, why do we need a defense attorney? Um, you know, any, any person that's smart knows this. If you, if you ever get convicted or if you ever get charged with murder, um, let me just give you a piece of legal advice. Um, don't defend yourself. Don't do it. You notice even, pro even lawyers who are gifted lawyers, if they have any sense, will never defend themselves. Why? Because they know they don't have the capacity to. Why do we need an intercessor? Because you don't have the power to defend yourself. The charges are too great against you. We need a defender. 
Dr. John Murray, in his commentary, said this. These verses remind us that it's the Redeemer's preoccupation with the security of his people. I love that. Preoccupation. That means that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is preoccupied with keeping us close to him. That's why every waking moment of your life, the Savior is working behind the scenes to draw you near to him. That's security. That's the kind of security I can't even offer to my own children whom I love. Now, I know one of you is probably sitting down there unconvinced by what I just said. You might be saying, well, Pastor Dennis, I know that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, but, but can I separate me from the love of Christ? Now, you know, the logic would still hold. You are the who, which means that you can't even separate yourselves from Christ. But I do want to remind you of something else before I leave this point, and it's this. You can't even separate yourself from the love of Christ. This doctrine is called the doctrine of eternal security, and you need to know it. The doctrine of eternal security. What is that? It means simply this. Not only is there nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ, you can't even separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. I was working uh, one day in a coffee shop, and a young lady came in, and she was crying. And, you know, I thought it was a little awkward, so I didn't say anything. Maybe she was just having a bad day until finally um, it became to the point where she couldn't work. And I asked her um, what, what was going on. She said, um, Dennis, I, I don't think God loves me anymore. And I said, why do you think that? And she told me that she had spent the last month uh, having sex outside of wedlock with her um, boyfriend, that she had engaged in some practices of trying uh, drugs and various things. And she said, I, you know, I, I believe in God. I, I used to believe in God. But now all these things that I've done have separated me from God. And so I took out my Bible, and I turned to John 10, 27, John 10, verse 27 through 30, and I read these words. You don't have to turn there, but if you want. I read her these words. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, right? And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I am, I and the Father are one. And then I reached out my hand, and I said, imagine if you are in the hands of God. And then Jesus covers that, and then the cord of the Holy Spirit is wrapped around that. You tell me what can get in or what can leave out. You know, some of you looking at me, I'll tell you, that doctrine is going to save your bacon one day, if it hasn't already. Christian, I want you to leave here knowing this. There is nothing you can do or anyone else 
can do to separate you from the love of Christ. Now, I want to mention two more things quickly, and it's this. Here's my third point. Not only is the objective reality of the love of Christ embedded in verse number 34, but I also want you to see how this empowers us to live. And I want to mention two things real quick. First of all, notice in verse 37, and we'll get back to verse 36. Paul says, no, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, underline more than conquerors and go back and look at the word no. The word no there really should be the word but. And the reason why is it connects back to verse number 35 where Paul is talking about who shall separate us from the love of Christ. That's the objective reality, but now Paul is saying something about us. He's saying because we are connected to Christ, we become more than conquerors. And more than conquerors is a good translation, but I prefer my translation, which is we turned into super conquerors. Because I like superheroes. And you know, when I was young, I always fancied myself to be a bit of a superhero. I learned quickly that I was not. And so I wanted to be um, a fireman because they look cool and they save people. And then I realized I have asthma and that wasn't going to work. But then every now and then when I open up my Bible, I read words like this. This is a neologism for those of you that want to know. This is the only time this is mentioned in the New Testament. And it's almost like Paul took a word that was so obscure because he couldn't find a word suitable enough to describe you and I in light of Christ's love. He says, Christ's love turns us into superheroes. Amen. Put on your capes. Right? You're turned into a superhero. Now, what are you transcending? Notice, he says in verse number 36, you transcend tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword. That's what you're able to do because you've been turned into a superhero. This is not abstract for Paul. Paul, in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 27, said this of himself. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 latches, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked. I've been on journeys. I've survived rivers. I've been in dangers of robbers, dangers of my own people, dangers of Gentiles, dangers of cities, danger of wilderness, danger of sea, danger of brothers, toil and hardship. He goes on and on and on. And as you read that, you're like, how is this man still alive? It's because he's a superhero. Now, I want to point out something. Because notice it says we are superheroes, more than conquerors, through him who loved us. Now, pay attention because this is super important. You're not a superhero because you were born with this. You're a superhero because you're in union with Christ. You're in union with Christ. And let me remind you of what that looks like. Go back to verse number 17. I just want to give you a flavor of this, and i got to pass on. But notice in verse number 17, he says that, uh, before that, he says that we have been adopted and have children, then heirs, heirs of God 
and fellow heirs with Christ. Underline that phrase, with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Three times in, those, uh, in, those, in that short verse, we are told we're in union with Christ. Do you realize that nine times Paul uses verbs just like that, with plus verb, to indicate that you are with Christ in every step of your life, in every aspect of your life, so much so that what happens to you happens to Christ. That's why no one can separate you from his love. I wrote my professor, my Greek professor, and I said, hey, I keep seeing all these verbs with, with with and then the verb. I was like, why is that? I, I don't know. Shorthand, I guess I could have studied it, but who has that kind of time sometimes? And so, um, so my Greek professor wrote me back, and here's what he says. He said that Paul was doing it to reinforce the message of the chapter. Our assurance is founded in Christ to whom we are united. Nothing can rob us of Christ to whom we are united. The indwelling spirit of Christ is at work in us to ensure that we will never fall away. Our great hope and confidence is that we belong to Christ. Man. That's beautiful. Do you know that you're with him? Do you feel that today? I'll throw in one more. Look at what Paul says a little bit further down. Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And notice in verse number 38, so the first result of Christ's love is that we're conquerors, but notice the second one. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, and he goes on and on. I want you to underline the, the word, for I am sure. That's actually one word, and it's the word for persuaded. He says, I am persuaded that nothing will be able to separate me from Christ. So not only do we turn into superheroes, super conquerors, but we get a level of assurance and certainty that surpasses understanding. I don't know why, but of late I keep running into a bunch of people who were believers who have um, deconstructed their faith. These are people that, some of them I grew up with, some of them I've just met, and the theme has always been the same. I used to believe, but I do not believe anymore. And it's usually because something happened in their life. It's usually because of some tragedy that they've seen. And in, for them, they believed that they trusted, but they were not persuaded. They were not persuaded. And you see, Christian, there's a difference between believing the gospel and being persuaded that the gospel is true. You might say, well, Pastor Dennis, they're the same. No, they're not the same. Do you know that the devil believes as well? That's what scripture tells us. He believes. He believes Jesus is real. He believes Jesus is true. He believes that the gospel works. He knows that. But the difference between Believing and knowing or being persuaded is that we have a confidence that is rock solid in the person and work of Christ. So I just want to ask you a question today. Are you persuaded? I'm not asking you if you believe, but are you persuaded? 
You know, any moment all of us can get a call that completely upends our faith and our life. Whoever or whatever is said at the other end of that phone will determine whether or not you're fully persuaded in the work of Christ. Now, I could go on, but I want you to go home and pour over this text for yourself. But I do want to leave you with one more thing. As I've studied this passage over and over again, I've looked at all of these words, and I noticed something beginning to formulate. Paul says, and the language that Paul uses in this text is pretty profound. He says, there's no condemnation. Who can bring any charge? Who can separate us? Um, We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Over and over again, he uses these texts of us being accused and separated from the love of Christ. And as I looked at these texts, it was remarkable for me to see that all of these things happened to Christ. Go through the passage again. Christ was condemned. Charges were brought against Christ. Christ was separated for us. Christ was like a lamb sent to be slaughtered, Isaiah 53. Christ was separated from the Father. And I think what Paul is telling us and what all of us need to be reminded of, that if it happened to Christ, he did it so that it doesn't have to happen to us. You don't have to fear those things because Christ already took that on himself. And now you can have radical assurance and confidence, not in yourself, but in the work that Christ has done for you. Father, we thank you. We could stay here forever and plumb the depths of this passage. But Holy Spirit, I want to leave more than enough room for you to work in the hearts and minds of these people. May you challenge them. Are they persuaded? Do they have a sense of your love? May we all learn to rest in it and live in it. In Jesus' name, amen.